When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 252 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Aerator Sports Podcast. Great episode today, people. It is Thursday, May 14, 2020. I hope everybody is having a great day, and I hope everybody is locked and loaded for a really, I, I think it's a really fun episode of the podcast. I think you're going to learn a ton today. First of all, I should probably mention on the back end, uh, Eric Musselman, the head coach of the University of Arkansas, a guy that I've had on many times dating back to his days at Nevada. I bring him on. We discuss all sorts of stuff. As you guys know, Coach Muss is an incredible interview, an incredible thinker. I always learn stuff from him. So a really compelling interview about kind of the state of, from the basketball perspective, where things are, how he has handled this downtime, how he envisions practices and things of that nature looking when students get back on campus then we bounce around talk some different stuff the last dance uh michael jordan he was obviously in the nba coaching as an assistant and then a head coach during the jordan era a lot of just fun stuff with coach must it's always a good uh listen so make sure you stay tuned on the back end on the front end i am actually going to shift almost exclusively to college football because this week I think really got people down in the dumps about the reality of college football, at least on the West Coast, at least in the state of California, not starting on time. And as someone who lives in California... I think, one, I have an an interesting perspective, an excellent perspective. I mean, let's be honest, I always got a great perspective. But two, um, I don't buy the narrative. I don't buy that we will not have college football week one. I will get into that after a big week in which the Cal State uh, school system, which is basically Fresno State, San Diego State, and a few other major college uh, conference schools, announced that they would not have... Uh, in-person classes in the fall. So that was one of the reasons uh, there's some talk about USC Alabama being canceled. So a lot of reasons to believe that California is going to screw up the college football season. I don't buy it, and I'm going to explain why. And I think you'll get smarter by listening to it again. Me living in California, me covering college sports, I think it works out really well. Now, before we get started on what I think may be the best show I've ever done, and I hate to brag because I've done a lot of good shows, I want to remind you, to please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you're not subscribed, today's a great day to start. You can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to leave a rating and review on the iTunes page. I know it sounds lame, but it really does help if you can give us a quick five stars. And if you want to leave a review, what you like, what you don't like, that is very helpful. Uh, Believe it or not, it actually does help a lot. Finally, if you're not following me on Instagram, where I do a lot of stuff on Instagram, I'm very active on Instagram, giving you content on the days between episodes, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram and Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions for the show, email Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, people. 
No more time to waste. Let's get focused because as I said, there were, I believe, three very compelling things that happened over the last couple days since I last recorded that have a lot of people really down that college football will not happen. I already mentioned them, but I'll repeat them now and I will repeat them again in a minute. The three things were very simply this. The Cal State school system announced that they will not have in-person classes in the fall. It will be online only. For people who don't know, the Cal State school system is 23 different universities across the state of California. Ironically, none in the Pac-12. So it's San Diego State, it's Fresno State, it's San Jose State. Those are the ones that play major college football in the Mountain West. The Pac-12, however, USC is a private school, Stanford is a private school, and UCLA and UC Berkeley are part of the Cal, the, the, the UC school system. So it's separate from the Cal State system. Very confusing, I know. But if you read that news on Tuesday, understand that as of right now, no Pac-12 school has announced publicly that they will be online only. So that's an important thing. The other thing, I think I mentioned it off the top, but my buddy Colin Cowherd says that he has heard from two different sources for people who do not know, USC, University of Southern California, Clay Helton is set uh, is set to open the season against Alabama and Jerry World. Colin Cowherd, my good friend, tweeted that he has heard from two separate people he trusts that the game will not be played in Alabama is already looking for an alternative to that game. And finally, the last kind of really big thing was a little nugget that came out that the LA, the city of LA, which is obviously a part of the larger state of California, could be shut down for up to three more months. That headline was a little bit misleading, but those were the three things that had everyone convinced that there will be no college football involving the California schools going forward. And I don't believe it, and I don't buy it, and I want to explain why. But before I do explain why, I do want to say something very simple, and that is this, is that over the next couple minutes on this podcast, it's going to get a little bit um, corona-heavy, And it's going to get a little bit political. And I hope you guys know at this point, I don't do this show. I don't do politics. I tend to not talk about those things because they do not pertain to why you guys listen to this show. You want to hear sports and you want to talk sports. But in this case, the medical world and the political world are overlapping with the college football world. And I would be remiss. I would be doing you as as an audience the disservice of avoiding this topic if I didn't at least sort of delve into politics and delve into medical stuff. I promise this isn't going to be my my anti-corona rant or an anti-Gavin uh, Newsom or anti-President you know President Trump rant. This is just me taking the facts available to me as it pertains to medicine, as it pertains to politics, and applying it to the sports world. If you don't want to hear about coronavirus, if you're tired of that stuff, I get it. Uh, fast forward to Coach Muss. I may also talk a little college hoops on the back end. But it's not a political rant. But I want to let you guys know that when it comes to this stuff, I have to talk about it because it is dipping into the sports world. And what I would also say is this. I don't want to hear from any of you, well, Aaron, you're not a medical professional. You're not a this. You're not a that. I understand I'm not a medical professional, but I'm treating this the same way that I treat anything else when I talk about on the show. Listen, I never played defensive back in the SEC but I still talk about Joe Burrow on this show, and I still talk about Tua on this show. And believe it or not, I know it's going to sound crazy because I'm 5'10 and slow. I never played point guard in college basketball either. That doesn't stop me from talking about Zion or Duke or Kentucky or UCLA or whatever. What I have to do is, as part of my job, take the information that I have available to me and form opinions based off that. I should mention, by the way, that's how I got into a little Twitter beef with another media member, but uh, we've squashed it. I'm over it. Don't want to talk about it. Certainly don't want to talk poorly about somebody else on my show that can't defend themselves. But this is what happens. I give out opinions based on the information that I have. And as it pertains to the coronavirus, um, I have to talk about that as it pertains to college football. So let's start with this college football notion that college football is not going to be played. And it's because of the three reasons I mentioned. One, the Cal State school system is shut down. Two, Colin Cowherd reported that USC Alabama is going to eventually be called off. And three, um, the stay-at-home order, some believe, will be extended until 
maybe potentially three more months in LA, which actually isn't factually correct. So I'll get into that in a minute. But I guess the biggest, broadest takeaway that I would say is very simply this, is that while it doesn't feel like there is a lot of time between now and college football, in many ways there aren't, but in many ways there are. And by the way, I should go back even to when this coronavirus thing first happened and say that I was one of the first people saying like, listen, July 1st, July 15th at the latest, we got to get going on college football. So it's not quite as much time as people think, but it is still more time than people realize. And so just to give you a frame of reference, um, most of the country shut down on May 16th in some way, shape, or form in lockdown. Every state's a little bit different, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But most, it was May 6th, or March 16th, excuse me, which was the Monday after all the sports, you know, Rudy Gobert stuff happens Wednesday, uh, Thursday, the NCAA tournament's canceled. Some states went into lockdown immediately, but most states went into lockdown on March 16th. So if you extrapolate out March 16th to the day that we are speaking now, which is May 14th, That was 59 days ago. It feels like a lifetime, but it was only 59 days ago. Why do I bring it up? It's because 59 days from now, we're talking the time from the time that the virus first shut down the country to now was 59 days. 59 days in the future is still only July 14th, which by the way, shout out to my wife. That's her birthday. Better not forget that one. But I bring it up because it's still a lot of time, and then on top of the fact that it's 59 days just to the middle of July, after that, it would still be another 46 days until week zero of the college football season. I bring it up because that is 105 days between now and week zero, and it is 112 days, if my math is correct, between now and and the first full Saturday of college football. And that doesn't seem like a long time, but it really is when you really think about it. Because just think about how much the climate of this virus has changed over the last two, three, four weeks, as opposed to where it was on March 16th. You know, March 16th, and again, this is where I'm getting a little medical, a little political. March 16th, it was craziness in the streets. We didn't have any information on this. We didn't know how many people were going to get infected. We didn't know how many people were going to die. You know, you saw these crazy projections that it could be in the millions across the across the globe, and everybody was in danger. And now you you fast forward a month, six weeks, eight weeks. The virus and the tone of the virus is a lot different. And so. For me, I even think back to where we were two, three weeks ago and how we were talking about this virus. If you remember, it was about three weeks ago now, it was 20 or so days that Georgia became the first state to announce that they were going to reopen. Again, these are facts. This is not my opinion. This is facts. These are, I'm taking medical facts to prove my point. 20 days ago, Georgia opened. And all we heard was, oh my God, there's going to be, the case rates are going to spike and there's going to be people dropping dead in the streets and like, am I being a little sarcastic? Yeah, maybe. And I know many of you live in Georgia and I don't, I don't want to speak for you. I'm sure some of you are protecting yourself, but at the same time, the rates have actually gone down in Georgia since the state opened up in Tennessee. The rates have, have gone down, have never really peaked the way people thought they would. And so if you even think about how different the conversation was two, three weeks ago than it is right now, then think about how different the conversation will be two or three weeks from now, you start to realize we actually do still have time on our side. As it pertains to California specifically, because California is kind of the epicenter of this stuff, right? Everyone's saying, oh, you know, California's going to screw up college football for everybody. And I'm not going to lie. It really kind of might if we're not careful. But what I can tell you is living in California... I can tell you that the climate and the, 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 the thirst for more freedom and more looseness has changed in the last few weeks. I really actually think it kind of changed that day that all those pictures came out of people on the beach when, if you remember, the, the, the beaches were open, a ton of people went, uh, the, the state of California got backlash, and the governor immediately shut down the beaches. Well, I'm telling you, I don't know how it played nationally, but here locally in California, I can tell you this. We were in the middle of a heat wave. It was over 100 degrees, and many families in this city 
uh, do not have air conditioning, believe it or not. Because it's not super humid, there are a lot of families in this state that do not have air conditioning. And so why do I bring it up? It's because when you're locked in the ho- when you're locked up, when you don't have air conditioning, when it's 100 degrees, when in many cases you have families like everywhere with two, three, four children in a small space on a weekend, you got to get them out of the house. You take them to the beach. When the governor then shut down the beaches, I'm just telling you the climate in the city changed. The climate in the state changed where we said, listen, we have done our part. You got to give us some wiggle room here. And so I give credit to the citizens of California because the patients ran thin around that time. And I can tell you that even in the last week or two, things have changed. Um, Beaches are now reopened. Hiking trails are now reopened. Many restaurants, not in LA, but outside of the city in some more rural areas are allowing for for, uh, in-person dining. Takeout, uh, you know, more places are open for curbside pickup. So even in California, this liberal place that everybody hates, and I'm not trying to do politics, I'm just stating facts. The tone has changed. People have lost patience. And they will continue to lose patience if things aren't loosened up a little bit, especially, again, given the fact that the data presented is saying that this this virus isn't nearly as deadly as we thought it was, and certainly not to most people that aren't super elderly or don't have medical issues. So that's the first part, is the climate has changed so much in two or three weeks, really since I think Georgia opened, and it will continue to change going forward. I think the other thing you have to consider as it pertains to the the city of Los Angeles and the state of California is that there are a lot of really important people that want to have sports go off as planned. What do I mean by that? Don't even think about just college football week one, right? Think about the NBA. I can tell you this. I've lived in LA for almost a decade now, six, seven years, whatever it is. There is nothing more important in the city of LA than the Los Angeles Lakers. And this is the Los Angeles Lakers' best chance to win a championship in probably eight or nine years. People will not be happy if that team is not able to continue its season because of people in in political positions not allowing them to continue their season. I'll take it a step further. Outside of college or outside of the NBA, the Rams. Okay, how about this? Keep in mind. The Rams are set to open a billion-dollar stadium that the owner of the Rams, Stan Kroenke, paid for out of pocket. Why do I bring that up? It's because on Wednesday, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, came out and said, hey, people, if you live in a state that doesn't allow professional sports, feel free to bring your teams down to Florida. We will gladly host them. You don't think that Stan Kroenke, one of the the richest men in America, one of the most powerful people in California, if he's not allowed to open his stadium on that first weekend, which, by the way, is still 120 or so days from now, you think Stan Kroenke's not going to put some political pressure behind the scenes on the, 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 the politicians in the state of California? How about USC football? I know everyone thinks USC football is a joke. I know everyone thinks Clay Helton is a joke. I'm just telling you, there are some very powerful people at USC that can really ratchet things up if it does not feel like USC is going to be able to play uh, college football this fall and certainly not open against Alabama, which I think is another factor to go back to what I said a minute ago. You know, I just referenced the fact that Georgia is open and that Tennessee is open and Texas has really loosened some things. I'll also tell you this. I think from the sports perspective, from the sports perspective now, I know of multiple schools in the South that plan on having kids back on campus in some degree over the next couple weeks. Don't want to name the schools. Don't want to say which ones. By the way, for people listening for Coach Muss, Coach Muss, it's not Arkansas because Arkansas, Coach Muss said they're waiting on word from their AD. They're waiting on word from, um, you know, from, from the governor and all that stuff. But I know of other states or other schools in the South where the restrictions are loose that plan on having kids back on campus soon. By the way, I should mention, Dan Mullen even said it this week. He said when, when gyms are open in the state of Florida, We plan on bringing our kids back because this is actually the safest place for them, the safest place for them where they can get first-class medical treatment, where they can get, uh, you know, the healthiest, safest meals to eat prepared by professionals rather than going to the grocery store with their parents. So Dan Mullen's already said, when the gym's open, we plan on bringing our kids back so they can work out in our facilities with our medical staff and all that stuff. So, So I bring this up because 
When that starts to happen, when it becomes public that multiple schools in the South have kids on campus, I guarantee you, again, the political pressure is going to be put on the, the politicians. I keep saying political pressure on the politicians, but it's the only way to say it. On the politicians in the state of California, like, wait a second now, Florida has all their kids on campus, Georgia has this, this team has that, you know, whatever. And we can't even get our kids to campus? Come on now. Come on now. And I'm telling you, there are a lot of very wealthy people behind the scenes who are, you know, they have either a financial or a personal investment in USC football, in UCLA football, in the Rams getting started on time. Maybe not the Chargers, don't really have a fan base, neither here nor there. Another factor, which I think is really important, I just mentioned how Ron DeSantis said that he plans on opening up Florida to... um, to uh, to any pro team that wants it. How about the fact that Arizona opened up on, I think, on Wednesday? Uh, they, they announced it on Tuesday, but Arizona has basically opened up for business. I think this is another factor. Now I'm just going all over the place, but I think it's important to think about all these factors when you're, you know, for you guys that live in the South and you can just do whatever you want. When you're at the bar this weekend and you're arguing with your buddies, oh, college football is not going to start. Think about all these things I'm telling you. There are so much financial uh, interest in getting college sports started, but there's also financial interest in other places. So I bring up Arizona because Arizona is kind of saying the same thing as Florida. Look, we're open for business. Major League Baseball, you want to bring your teams here to train? Bring them. By the way, you don't even ha- it doesn't even have to do with sports. Think about this. California as a standalone entity outside of the United States is one of the biggest economies in the world. It is bigger as an economy than most state or most countries across the world. So why do I bring it up? It's because what happens with Arizona Open, with Nevada starting to open up, they have opened up restaurants now for in-person dining. The casinos are on their way. I'm just telling you right now, I'm already planning a trip to Vegas with the boys for the summer. I'm already planning with my wife. I told my wife this morning, listen, If we can't go anywhere in California, let's hop on a $90 Southwest flight and go to Arizona for a weekend. I don't care. I'm just trying to get out of town and do something. And so I bring this up because I believe that that too is going to put political pressure on the folks in California to really kind of move things along. Because you can't have all your economic dollars, you can't have all your food, your hotels leaving the state when people want to do stuff in their own community. And so that kind of brings me to the second point about the idea that that LA is going to be in a lockdown for the next three months. That really isn't actually true. If you actually kind of read the report, and listen, I tweeted it out, and I said, this is not going to happen. But this is part of what I'm talking about, is the report kind of said that it it wasn't an official report. to, to, To be clear and to backtrack, this report that came out on... Tuesday said that the state of California, uh, or excuse me, the city of LA could be in a lockdown through the next three months. And people freaked out and da da da. But if you actually read the report, if you actually read the report, what it said was one of the health officials said behind the scenes that they could see a scenario where the lockdown was still in place three months from now. Now, two things. One, not an official report. And two, what they were saying was some form of lockdown, which means that it's not going to be totally back to normal. It's not going to be walk around without a mask. It's not going to be full service dining. So that headline was a little bit misleading. And finally, I do want to hit on the last point, which is the Cal State University systems, uh, the Cal State University system shutting down for online uh, school only, no in-person classes at the schools that I mentioned, Fresno State, San Diego State, uh, San Jose State, Cal State Bakersfield, Cal State Fullerton, does not yet imp- uh, impact any of the Pac-12 schools, but it's still worth monitoring, and I'll tell you this, I still believe, I think it was way too early on May 12th to come out and say that you're not going to have on-campus classes, and I do believe that by the time school starts, those kids will be in school. And, and here's why. It's because of something I told you two or three weeks ago that, again, AT was ahead on and everybody else is just starting to pick up on. And that's very simply this. Remember I told you two or three weeks ago I was talking to a college basketball coach, private school, won't name the school, but you can probably figure it out. It was a Wake Forest, Syracuse, USC, Vandy, Villanova type school. 
And he said to me, he said, Aaron, I'm just telling you right now, we can't afford as a university not to bring kids back to campus. And that, that was like the light bulb moment for me where I was like, we're going to have kids on campus. And if we have kids on campus, we're going to have college football. So why do I bring it up? It's very simply this, is that as I said at the time, these campuses, they need students to be on campus to charge them full price. And I'm not going to go through the whole rant I did two weeks ago, but it is worth revisiting because again, it's not just the football program that needs football games to be played. It's the entire university that needs kids to be on campus to fund the biology uh, building, the new chemistry building, all the new professors they hired in the drama department. That money comes from charging students full price. And as I said two or three weeks ago, there are a lot of universities that can't afford to not charge full price, and you can't charge full price if you don't have kids on campus. And so that is why I believe that eventually the Cal State school system is going to reverse course. Because I just can't imagine being a parent of a college student and being willing to pay full price to my, for, my stu, for my son or daughter to attend a college that they're not actually attending. They're, so you mean to tell me my son or daughter is going to stay at home, I'm going to have to feed them, I'm going to have to house them, I'm going to have to pay for their water bill, their electric bill, and you still expect me to pay full price? Give me a break. You know what's going to start to happen over these next couple months? I want you to follow this, and I want you to say that Aaron Torres told you first. Sounds like I'm selling a mattress or something. It's an Aaron Torres guarantee. But here's the deal. May 13th, I'm saying it. What you are going to see is this. You are going to see in those Cal State schools that announced that they are not going to have students on campus, you are going to see either kids pull out of school because, again, if I was a parent, what I would tell my son or daughter, listen, Rather than paying $20,000 for you to take Econ 101 and Drama 272, rather than paying $20,000 or $30,000, guess what? You're going to go to the local community college, and then when the school opens back up, you can reapply and go back there. It happens all the time. People leave school for a semester and end up coming back. It is going to happen now. If you're an out-of-state student, I think it's 100% certain. There's no way I'm paying an out-of-state price if my son or daughter is staying at home. I think you could see a lot of kids that are accepted to these schools that were planning on enrolling defer their enrollment to the spring for a year until the campus opens back up. And I think you could just see a lot of kids transfer out. And so I think when these schools, when the Cal State school system looks at the bottom line, the fiscal responsibility that they have to the universities, and they see all these kids pulling out over the next two, three, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, they're going to say, you know what? We got to get these kids back on campus because we're not going to be able to afford to pay our bills. So I hope in some way, shape, or form that did help uh, kind of just explain where we are at in college football. I think the biggest points that I would take away are three very simple things. One, we still have time on our side. I would say that a, a firm decision by all of these schools doesn't need to be made really until about July 1st, which is still six full weeks away from now. And think again, how different is the tone now versus two or three weeks ago, and where is that tone going to be even in a place like California two, three, four, five weeks from now? I think we'll get kids back on campus July 1st at the latest, I think maybe even earlier, and I think that we are going to have college football back in general. I would also say make sure, as I always tell you, read the fine print that that report about California uh, being closed or LA being closed for another three months. That's not really what it said and it wasn't an official report. I would also say LA can't afford for all of their citizens to just go to Arizona or go to Vegas and spend all their discretionary income. And finally, I do think that when you look at the number of students who are going to not not be willing, parents not willing to pay for their students to their their kids to go to school online, I think it's going to be eye-opening for these universities. By the way, I would also mention real quick, um, if you follow me on Twitter, I have been a little critical of the NBA. Really quickly, I'm not going to go sport by sport. Listen, the NFL is going to come back. The, uh, and I think it's going to come back week one. I think everything's going to be fine. They have time on their side. They, they have one central body that makes one decision. That's Roger Goodell. Also, remember with the NFL, players don't make very much money outside of two or three guys on the team. And so I don't think guys are willing to give up a year's worth of salary 
and not get paid, which is essentially what would happen. Football is going to be back. MLB is going to be back. They're arguing over dollars and cents. How much money do the players get? How much do the owners get to keep? What that essentially comes down to is is the revenue uh, that that was projected versus what's coming out. In a lo- to make a long story short. Uh, players were promised a certain percentage of revenue, but they were do- but that was under the assumption that there would be fans in the stands. Now that there's not fans in the stands, owners want to keep a bigger percentage. Players want to keep a bigger percentage of their salary. That will get figured out. It's going to be very contentious and very boring, but baseball will be back. And I will say, I'll give Adam Silver credit. I've crushed him for weeks on social media because I think he's soft. I think, frankly, he lacks a backbone. And I think he lets his players make too many decisions Uh, without just being the face of the league and doing what he needs to do, which is best for the league. I only bring that up because I actually thought there were two really good things. If you're an NBA fan and you were hoping for games this season, I do think two really good things did happen on Tuesday. One, uh, Chris Haynes from Yahoo reported that all the big-time players, Kawhi, LeBron, KD, Steph, Giannis, a couple others that I'm missing – They all got on a call, and the guys agreed in uniformity, we want this season to come back. So the players are on board, and I think the other big thing from an NBA perspective that I think is really important is that the uh, commissioner, Adam Silver, finally admitted the most important thing. What we've been hearing for weeks with the NBA is very simply that there was concern of what happens if another outbreak happens, and Adam Silver finally admitted to his owners, to the players' union that, listen, people are going to be infected. It does not mean that we need to shut down the whole league. I think that was a huge hurdle for that organization to get over, is the fact that people are going to be infected. It's okay. The data shows us that people, especially young, are going to be affected and either be asymptomatic or not. Uh, certainly, it won't be fatal for people uh, you know, of an NBA playing range. So I feel better than ever that the NBA will get back here soon. And finally, I do believe that college football will get back as scheduled in the fall for all the reasons that I spent time talking about. All right, so I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Was going to hit a little bit on Mac McClung, the kid who transferred from, um, you know, from Georgetown. But listen, bottom line is I don't do transfer stuff. I don't even know if he's going to get eligible. And plus, we got to get to Coach Musk. So Eric Musselman, the head coach of the University of Arkansas, is coming up. Before I get to Coach Muss, I want to thank you, first of all, for sticking through. I don't know if that was political. I don't know if it was medical. But but what I am hearing and understanding about the state of college football. So thank you for listening to that. And thank you, as always, for listening to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you're not subscribed, today is a great day to do so. iTunes, Podcast Addict. Podbean. Podcast Addict, I should mention for you Android users, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like. Leave us a rating or leave us a review. It really does help, even if it's one sentence about how great I am and handsome and all the fun things you want to say about me, whatever you want. Finally, uh, Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. If you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. That is it. And now the head coach of the University of Arkansas, good friend of mine, and a really fun conversation. I really think you'll dig it. Uh, By the way, I should mention a really good team he's got coming next year, the University of Arkansas. Here is Eric Musselman. All right, and joining me on the phone now, a good friend of mine, been on this show, this podcast many times, the head coach of the University of Arkansas, coming off a very successful first season and a very anticipated second season coming up. Eric Musselman is on the phone. Coach, how you doing today? I'm doing great, AT. It's great to come on with you. Well, it's great to have you on, Coach. It's great to have you on. And, and first question, you know, you and I were just talking a little bit off air, but I, I feel like I know you reasonably well at this point. Um, and you don't strike me as the kind of guy that's going to sit well 
uh, during a, a quarantine time and a time where everybody's supposed to lay low? I mean, obviously there's serious societal issues and all that stuff, and you guys certainly had to continue to recruit and do those things, but how have you been passing some of this time? Because I, I would assume that you've had more time this spring, frankly, than you probably have ever had before between less travel and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> there's no doubt. I mean, we, you know, I, I'm still fortunate to be one of the people that can, that can come in the office. Um, we have a, a small number of guys that, uh, that come in with me. Um, we have a think tank every morning. We do social distance, um, you know, in the office, but, but we talk about different ideas right now. We're studying uh, the Milwaukee Bucks and, and their early offense and going to take some concepts from them. We've been doing virtual recruiting with virtual calls and virtual tours with recruits. Um, but I'll, I will say, Aaron, like in the last 48 hours, it's, it's uh, you know, frustration for the, you know, I mean, now kind of patience and frustration. And it's like, you know, kind of want to just hope that we can get back to some normalcy as quick as possible. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, obviously I talked a little bit about kind of everything that's going on in the football perspective before you came on. But it is crazy, and I'll speak so you don't have to. It is kind of just wild, um, you know, that, that schools are already canceling classes on campus uh, here in May when we have really, you know, almost, what, three and a half, four months before kids need to get to campus. I guess I would kind of just ask you off the top, I mean, is there any plan in place yet for the University of Arkansas? I mean, I saw your AD kind of loosely said that he hoped to have uh, the football team back on campus in July or whatever. Is there anything concrete yet for you guys, or are you just waiting like everybody else for clearance from above? Yeah, we're just waiting. Um, you know, Hunter Juracek, our athletic director, does an incredible job of, of keeping us informed. And uh, we had an SEC head coaches, uh, basketball head coaches meeting um, yesterday, and, and, and the commissioner of the SEC was on with us. And, um, you know, we're, so we, a, lot of, a lot of Zoom meetings um, to keep us informed. Obviously, um, here at Arkansas, we are talking or discussing about protocol of, of what will happen if the players from certain sports are trickling in on campus, you know, maybe even as early as June one or July or, and not for official practices, but just maybe potentially, um, you know, players that live in the area to open up the weight room. But again, it's, 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 it's from a timing standpoint, things change daily. Yep. So, um, you know, we, we have no idea really what's going to happen in, you know, I know that, you know, I have a, a son, Matthew, who's a freshman at the University of San Diego. And, and it really, you know, it really hits home when you're coaching college athletics or you have a, you know, a son or a daughter that um, is now taking classes all online. When um, I know for my son, there was a, a great, great deal of excitement. His second semester, he had kind of gotten over his homesickness of what you go through your first semester. And, and then, bang, all of a sudden, you know, that thing gets cut short. And then, then you're excited about summer school and doing it in person. And, you know, so much of the college experience is, is mm -hmm. being away from home and g waking up, going to class, being on time, learning responsibilities away from home. And, and so for, for college-age students right now, all that stuff has been taken away. Um, the other night in our neighborhood, Aaron, I spoke at, uh, you know, there was 12 um, University of Arkansas students that had graduated um, in the backyard. We had a graduation ceremony. Um, you know, I was the keynote speaker nice. for 12 students. But you know what? Danielle and I got, we jumped back in our golf cart to drive back home, uh, my wife and I, and, and we were kind of emotional that, sure. wow, that, like, that's, that's their graduation was in a backyard um, with 12 of their friends and how different that experience is. And so there's all these things that are going on all over the world that, um, you know, that are just so much different than what's our, what's our world really going to look like once we get back to normal, which they'll, I don't know if there'll ever be a normal, normal of what we thought of what the world was like a hundred days ago. No, I, I don't disagree at all. Have you know you mentioned kind of having think tanks and thought process and all that stuff? 
Uh, if you're AD or if the governor or whomever did give you the green light, I mean, have you talked about what even in, in an informal practice might look like in terms of, you know, one guy on one basket with one coach? I mean, have you gotten that far down the road yet? I mean, what I'm trying to do, AT, is just study what the NBA is doing. Sure. And uh, I was actually on with an NBA um, general manager today, and, and um, we kind of talked. You know, I think that, you know, the NBA is, is, is becoming more optimistic mm -hmm. of late, uh, meaning maybe the last three days there's been a little bit more optimism um, than there was. But certainly, you know, um, the notes that I'm taking and putting together – um, are, you know, like one guy at a basket, uh, the, the, the rebounding coach has a mask on, um, you know, obviously the washing of the hands immediately after the workout's over, um, no more than maybe one player per basket, but that's just stuff that I'm sure. gathering from NBA teams. And by no stretch is that protocol that's what's happening on our campus or anything mm -hmm. in the future. That's just more. Uh, intel that I'm trying to gather and, and be able to give feedback if and when uh, we get to that point. Very good. Well, you know, one of the reasons I want to have you on, I, you know, I always love talking with you, but I mean, there is some just real buzz about what you guys were able to do on the recruiting trail, number six ranked class from the high school ranks, a couple sit-out transfers that were on your roster last year that are getting eligible, uh, a couple guys that are grad transfers. And, and really quick, I guess I would ask before we even get into next season, when you look back on this 2019-2020 campaign, uh, you know, what are your thoughts overall? I mean, obviously, strong start, injuries in the middle, all that kind of stuff. I will say it was ironic. I was thinking about this today. I mean, if I had told you, uh, if I had told you uh, in November that you'd be playing in the final SEC game of the of the season, you would probably have been pretty excited about it. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it didn't really work out the way we all planned. But just in general, uh, your thoughts on this past season? Some incredible progress. Uh, and like I said, unfortunately, you know, it's funny and. I'll finish this question in a second, but you know, I had Mason Jones on probably about three or four weeks ago, and he talked about the disappointment of feeling like the, the roster was just finally getting healthy again late in the season, and he felt like you guys could really make a run in Nashville. Just That's a long-winded way of me saying, what are your overall thoughts on 2019-2020? Yeah, Aaron, I mean, we, we're really proud of, because there's so many things that go into your first year um, with the program and, and you try to establish an identity you try to you know play every night where somebody could be sitting on their couch um, you know whether it's, it's somebody sitting in Fayetteville Arkansas or Little Rock Arkansas or Rapid City South Dakota or San Diego California and they watch the Razorbacks play and they can understand the theme or the style we're trying to play with sure. we definitely did get that across you know and then and, and you want to you want to develop a brand of kind of who you are, who you want to be, and where you're going. Mm -hmm. And we certainly felt like like that was the case. Um, you know, I think you want to try to create with the recruits like, is Arkansas a cool place to go? You know, and mm -hmm. and so you try to you try to distinguish yourself in different areas, whether it's recruiting or social media or branding of the program, all those things become all encompassing. And, and then you want to generate as much excitement as you can with your fan base, your alumni, your boosters. Um, and our attendance just kept growing and growing and growing throughout the year. And, uh, the environment at Bud Walton arena way before I got here, that place is rocking. Um, but we, we, we got to the point this year where we felt like, we really had an incredible uh, fan base that, that got behind the team, that respected the team. Even on nights that we lost, um, we had so many gut-wrenching hmm. uh, last-second games that we just came up slightly short. Uh, but people got their money. When they came and watched us play, they got their money's worth of a team that put forth incredible effort, energy, played with great enthusiasm. Um, so I, I look back to get 20 wins. Um, we had a great year. Uh, we already knew we had a short roster coming in. We were one scholarship down. We had three players sitting out, so that's minus four scholarships. Uh, arguably one of our best players, if not you know, the most impactful guy in our team. And, 
in Isaiah Joe went down for five games, and it wasn't just the five games that he was mm-hmm. down with his knee. It was also the games that he played on a knee that was not healthy. Uh, so, yes, couldn't be more proud of the team. Um, guys took incredible strides from a player development standpoint. Uh, roles increased. You mentioned Mason Jones, who went from like a 13-point score um, to, to lead the nation in free throws attempted, free throws made, was co-SEC player of the year. Um, so a lot of really, really good things from a player development standpoint. Individually, our guys grew. And then I also hope that our team created a style and we kind of know uh, going into year two how we want to play, although there'll, there'll obviously be tweaks with personnel changes as well. Yeah, and I, I do want to talk about that personnel for year two. Um, you know, very successful kind of grad transfer uh, deal, and I know you guys are still looking at potentially filling another scholarship, so you might not even be done. Uh, I think you're allowed to talk about the grad transfers. I believe that they're signed. Uh, if I said a name, Vance Jackson, would you be able to comment on him? I don't probably should ask you this before we went on air. I can cut this out, but <laughs> no, no, no. We okay. can we can talk about okay. It. We yeah, can I, talk about Vance and yeah. and, and Jalen Tate for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, for people who don't know, NCA rules are until you sign an official letter of intent. Uh, the coach is not allowed to talk about players that have not officially signed a letter of intent. I see Vance Jackson here on your official roster, at least a press release, so I assumed it was safe. But I should have asked you before. Neither here nor well, and, 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 and AT, the interesting thing is, for a football player or a basketball player or any college athlete, you really only sign one letter of intent oh. uh, throughout your whole career. So what it then becomes for the transfers is just a scholarship paper. So. Okay. Um, like for our two guys, Jalen Tate, Vance Jackson, those that paperwork has been submitted. Um, but it's interesting um, that 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 those guys, as players, you only sign one letter of intent, and after that, no matter how many times you <laughs> transfer or grad transfer, then it's just the scholarship papers. That's really interesting. See, I didn't know that, but uh, that's good to know. Vance Jackson. So I do want to talk about him. Um, he's a guy. Listen, and, and I've said this on multiple platforms, including on this show. Um, I know him very well. I mean, he lives, uh, he grew up in Pasadena, California, not far from where I am right now. Uh, he went to my alma mater his freshman year, and he's really a guy that, that you know, maybe I'm putting too much pressure on him, but I really think can be a real impactful player for you guys next year. Sometimes when you transfer up from what is a pseudo mid-major, I think the Mountain West would say they're a little bit more than a mid-major, but it's not quite the caliber of SEC play. You know, some guys could struggle with that, but Vance, to me, former top 40, top 50 recruit, I'm really excited to watch him with you guys. What do you see out of him? What do you expecting from him yeah i think you bring up some great points at about vance i mean number one he played at uconn as a freshman um he's a player that at his size meaning you know six nine he can play a variety of positions i mean obviously in his career he's played the three four um you know he might not want to hear it but i think he can create mismatches for short stretches at the five sure and i think when he's done playing college basketball I, I think he can play some two. I think he's that versatile where Vance can play uh, four different positions, every position but the point guard. But, but then you talk about that, we actually see him as a guy who can play a little bit of point forward where he can make passes, mm-hmm. uh, he can put the ball on the deck, he can shoot the three. Um, and and we, we, you know, he's a proven player. I mean, again, eight points a game as a freshman he shot 38% or actually 39.7% from three and made 50 threes at UConn. Yep. And then he followed that up with 57 threes as a sophomore at New Mexico and then 50 threes this year. So he's played three years of college basketball and has made 50 plus three balls every year. So um, a guy that's really versatile and should be a, a player that has a big impact, not only offensively, but also on the backboards. You know, one player that Arkansas fans really have been kind of talking about, for lack of a better term, for over a year, 
is a, a guy you had sit out last year named Connor Vanover who began his career at Cal, transferred to you guys, and there was some talk that he could potentially get eligible even last season. It didn't work out. It's a long story that Arkansas fans are probably tired of hearing about, but now that he will get to the court, you know, the Arkansas fans that I talk to seem to be very excited about what he could potentially bring to you guys. For people who might not know, well over seven feet tall but can stretch the floor. Uh, just give a little scouting report on him if you don't mind. Yeah, so Connor, seven foot three, two hundred and thirty pounds, um, averaged almost eight points a game as a freshman at the University of California, Berkeley. Um, another guy from a three point standpoint, you know, you think of a seven three guy, you do not think of a player that's a three point shooter, but he was twenty seven of seventy six from three as a freshman. So he shot thirty six percent um from three. Very good shot blocker because of his length. Um, his big thing is just basically a strength standpoint. And, you know, we thought that, that, that he had an incredibly compelling case uh, to try to be immediately eligible, A.T. Um, he was coming back to the state that he grew up. California is a long way, obviously, from Fayetteville. Um, and he just did not get the support of the waiver. Um, and so he sat out, and I think it's so interesting because we're reading about so many players, um, and the rule is still in place that you sit out yep. um, if you transfer, if you're not a grad transfer. But yet, so many people are saying, you know, players are going to be eligible and people are going to support it. I just think, wow, we had a player come back to his home state. He was he he was made to sit out. His father put together incredible amount of time and energy and overly detailed. I mean, we've been doing the transfer thing for a long time. I have never seen a more detailed um, case that they, meaning the Vanover family, put forth. And, um, you know, Connor's mom played basketball here, so he truly was coming home. Um, and, he, and he sat. His, his waiver was denied. So I, I'm so anxious to see which guys are going to get immediately eligible last year we've kind of been doing a, a case study on some of the 12 guys um or or we've zeroed in on 12 guys that did uh become immediately eligible we're gathering facts on how and why they did and why others didn't uh, very very interesting uh to really dig deep into that so real quick and I wasn't going to ask you, but but now that you bring it up, I'm kind of curious. I mean, like you said, uh, since you've gotten to the college level as a head coach at Nevada about six, seven years ago, um, you know, you've targeted the transfer market as a way to um, either upgrade talent, bring in talent, uh, you know, bring in talent maybe at Nevada that you might not have been able to sign out of high school. Where do you stand on the one-time transfer rule? Uh, probably doesn't sound like it's going to get passed this year, but but down the road, uh, I think there's compelling cases for both sides. It's certainly more fair to the student athlete and all that kind of stuff, but it does also uh, put a lot of people in a lot of predicaments. You know, it leads to some really potentially bad decisions for players. Have you given the time or to, to think about what the, the, the no sit out policy might at least look like for you guys or for college basketball as a whole? Yes, certainly. You know, and, and I agree that, you know, I don't know what will happen this year. I think in the near future uh, that will be the case. I'm in support of players having uh, flexibility. I think that's a fair rule. Um, again, whenever that goes into play. Uh, look, I, I, obviously I coached at Nevada. Um, I got an opportunity at Arkansas. Um, I, I took that opportunity. Um, but there was players – um, you know, that, that came to Nevada and I didn't get an app opportunity to coach them. There were some sit out guys. Um, you know, there was players like Lindsey drew, um, you know, who had played for me for three years and then had, had to rehab, uh, with two hip surgeries, uh, and an Achilles tear, um, you know, and, and, and I took an opportunity, um, that my family and I had, had discussed. So I had the flexibility um, to go to coach at, a, at another place and certainly feel like, you know, if coaches can do it, if, if administrators can do it, um, you know, that, 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 that players should be able to do it. Um, you know, and it's hard for coaches to change jobs. It's hard for 
players to, to, to transfer. You know, I do think that, you know, when you give people options, you know, to make decisions, uh, especially young people at the college, like there's going to be some transfer decisions that are probably poor decisions. And then there's going to be others that are really good, but uh, through all decisions, Having worked for Chuck Daly, one of my favorite lines that Coach Daly used to say is, every decision's 50-50 when you make that decision, and you never know until time passes if it was a good or a bad decision. And so, you know, I think that one way to look at this transfer situation is, you know what, guys are going to, you know, they're going to have to own up to their decisions, and they'll look back at those as lifetime decisions that will help them later in life as well. So real quick, you know, you mentioned Chuck Daly, and I was thinking about you as I'm watching this Michael Jordan documentary over these last four, five, whatever weeks it is. Um, I looked it up. I don't. I weirdly think that a lot of your career in the NBA did not overlap with his. Like you came in when he retired the first time, and then you were doing some other stuff, and then you came back towards the tail end. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask because I know there were times that you were in the NBA when Michael Jordan was a part of that league and really at, at maybe mostly the height of his powers. One, do you have any good Michael Jordan stories? And two, just what have you made from this documentary overall? Because I'm guessing for most of your players and most of the people that you deal with, it's maybe the first time they're really getting to experience that guy outside of a YouTube clip or something like that. Well, one watching the last dance has been awesome. Cause I, 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 I now know how lucky I am uh, to be married to Danielle because she's watching the clips and she's like, there's Gary Payton. You know, <laughs> she knows every guy there's Sean. K-. So I know that I have a wife that's got high basketball IQ. That's been proven. Yes. yes. Um, through, through watching this with her. Um, but yeah, I, I was that team. Um, I was actually with Chuck Daly um, and, uh, Horace Grant played for Orlando. Chuck Daly was a head coach, Brendan, sir. Um, so I, I played against Jordan, uh, and, and obviously our, uh, Jordan rules defensively at Orlando did not work like the Detroit <laughs> Pistons sure. Jordan rules because of personnel. Um, the one year, I think, uh, we went one and four, um, uh, against the bulls with coach Daly. Um, and, and then when, when Michael Jordan was with the Wizards, uh, we played him twice when I was the head coach at Golden State, and we were 2-0 and against him. Actually, one game, Earl Boykins, who's on staff, had 16 and torched them wow. uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, but you're talking about probably the greatest competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the last episode, A.T., when he said we need to take a break and he teared up when they were talking about, you know, he was talking about, you know, I'm not here to be my teammates' friends. I'm here to push them yep. and win. Um, and you know what? Like, when you're a coach, when you're a leader on a team, when you're a leader of a corporation, you got to make a lot of hard decisions. And it's easy to be liked. The biggest thing with Jordan that I that was cemented was he didn't care about being liked. Mm-hmm. Neither did Kobe Bryant. He cared about being respected and trying to win. And win, whether he pushed guys' buttons to the, you know, to the breaking point almost, look, the dude wanted to win. That's what he was paid to do. Um, and he's one of the greatest winners of all time because of his competitiveness and not really given much worry about likability more how do I win this particular 48-minute ball game? Fantastic stuff. No, and I agree. Have you had a chance to talk to any of your players in turn? You know, because like, so I'll just give you an example, right? Uh, Chris Broussard, NBA, longtime NBA writer, is a good friend of mine. Had him on the show a few days ago, and I asked him point blank. I said, do you think any current NBA players are reevaluating, looking themselves in the mirror and saying like, man, I thought I worked hard, or man, you know, I thought this load management thing where I took off back-to-backs, you know, like, like, are are they looking themselves in the mirror and saying, I need to carry myself in a different way if I want to reach that ultimate level? Have you had a chance to talk to any of your players or young people or whatever as far as their response? Because I just feel like across basketball, whether it is even from the high school level straight to the NBA, I think there's a lot of people looking themselves in the mirror thinking, 
I was doing this one way. I was talking about the Mamba mentality or the MJ mentality, but I haven't really been living it. Yeah, I, I mean, even with my daughter, Mariah, who's 10 years old, because we have had her watch hmm. the series with us because I think that there's so many life lessons. Sure. Um, and she might be doing a TikTok dance while it's going on, but at least she's <laughs> sitting there with sure. us and soaking in some of the things like, uh, the, we, and we had, we, we had zoom meetings after these episodes with our team Great. and we talk about lessons and each guy gets up and talks about what he learned or what was special to him. Yeah. I thought the, you know, the, the, the clip of MJ winning the full court sprints and being way yeah. out ahead of people. I thought the, um, the, you know, what we just talked about, not caring about being liked, but, but trying to push his teammates. I thought, when his mom and the Jordan family's response to MJ being cut from yeah. his high school team and no excuses, not transferring to a different high school, not the coaches wrong, but the simple answer of get your butt in the gym and work on your game. That, to me, has been the greatest lesson through all this. Uh, but there's lessons every single episode, multitude after multitude. After, I mean, it just keeps coming at us. Um, and I just think it's so cool that they had the, the, the ability to film all this, that the Bulls, that MJ, that all the players, that management, that Phil Jackson allowed this access um, and what an incredible time. For, if, if this mm. thing was, was released 200 days ago, it doesn't get sure. one one hundredth of what it's getting right now. And so it's been great for any athlete, I think any young person to watch. There's just incredible lessons um, about being a teammate, about being a winner, about going hard, about not taking days off. All those things um, are great to see. Fantastic. You know, we're doing the thing that we always do where we're going long here. Uh, it's become sort of a tradition every time we hop on the phone. So I'll let you out with this question. You know, I mean, I didn't really ask even about, I talked about a couple of the freshmen in terms of your 2020, 2021 roster, uh, or excuse me, I talked about a couple of the transfers. Is there anything else you really want to add either about the freshmen, about the roster as a whole, um, you know, about expectations? It seems like fans are certainly excited. It's early. We know that it's going to take some time. Just anything, any parting words about your excitement or anything about the 2020-2021 roster? Yeah, I mean, we're excited, A.T. We are. I mean, you know, we talked a lot about Vance Jackson, but you talk about Jalen Tate, who's an incredible defender. He's got great length, um, a guy that we think is really going to have a big-time impact for us. And, and, then, and then, obviously, the four incoming freshmen, K.K. Robinson, Devo Davis, Moses, Moody, Jalen Williams, you know, four guys that were a top 10 recruiting class for us. And Moses Moody is a guy that can knock down shots. He's got great, great length at six foot seven, 200 pounds. And, and, uh, Devo Davis is great off the bounce and creative with the ball in his hands. KK Robinson's a point guard with great speed. Jalen Williams, a six ten kid who can shoot the ball, put it on the deck, post up. Um, and then J.D. Note is a player who sat out for us from Jacksonville that we think is, is, is going to be able to really have a breakout season. He was two years um, in the A-Sun at, at Jacksonville and is in a really, really good score. He can play a couple different positions. And, and then we need you know guys like Desi Sills to continue to improve. He'll be going into his junior year. And, and, uh, and we mentioned Connor Vanover with his size. So we're excited, but... You know, four freshmen is a lot of guys, uh, a lot of young players. I've been I've been gathering a lot of stuff about NBA rookies and about uh, college freshmen in different sports and the ups and downs that that, that can happen and 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 when freshmen hit a wall and how to mm -hmm. respond to that. So we've been doing a lot of studies on that because we want to try to educate our four freshmen as well. Uh, you know, in how this is going to look. And we had two great freshmen that started the whole run at Nevada, Lindsey Drew and Cameron Oliver, two young guys that started as freshmen and carried that success into their sophomore years as well. And everyone talks about the transfers at Nevada, but it was really um, our coaching staff's trust in two freshmen mm -hmm. to let those two guys roll. Um, and they, they kick-started that whole thing. So 
a lot of work ahead of us because we've missed a lot of summer, which a lot of people have. But when you have so many new faces, the missed time is really going to be costly to us. Well, one thing I will say, parting words, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, John Wall, former number one overall pick, was on the Matt Barnes uh, All the Smoke podcast, and he said even at some point during his freshman year at Kentucky, he hit a wall and said he wanted to transfer. Something that he told me many years ago, but to hear him say, yeah, my mom had to talk me off the ledge, I, was, I wanted to transfer, blah, 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 it shows that it happens to everybody, so, so it's inevitable, you know, it's just part of dealing with young people, so... Uh, Eric Musselman, head coach, University of Arkansas. Coach, you know I always appreciate the time. Thank you. Uh, best of luck. You know, stay safe. And hopefully next time I talk to you, you'll have kids on campus. We'll be talking about a season ahead. Uh, I appreciate the time. AT, hey, it's always great coming on with you. I appreciate you having me. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.